There's this advertisement that I've never forgotten, and I guess that's the case. I think it was back in the 80s, uh, this guy who was on a soap opera, and the commercial would start like this. I'm not a real doctor, but I play one on TV. If you're old, you remember this, or it's made its way around. I guess it was a successful one because he kept making these commercials. And he would then do something for Vic's cough drops. But for some reason, simply him saying, but I play one on TV, gave him some validity to what he was about to say. Reminds me of McDonald's over the years. I've had spokesmen like Justin Timberlake, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Travis Scott, all promoting McDonald's. There's no proof that any of these people actually know how to make a hamburger or have some kind of expertise in hamburgers, but we listen. Today, there's a lot more talk around influencers. Influencers on uh, social media would be somebody who has a lot of people that pay attention to their online content and then end up talking about something or showing something and the, the thing is that people listen. But as the investment of resources or need increases, uh, speaking from a place of actual authority might be more help. I could be down at the local uh, playground playing basketball, and if I'm playing against somebody who I'm like, man, this guy's amazing. Like, he, he, I, I couldn't score on him. He was amazing. He kept shutting me down. I need to call Bob Myers from the Warriors right now and tell them to sign this guy. Bob Myers is the general manager. He would not take my call. But if Steph Curry was playing against somebody and is saying, this person was amazing. I'm willing to actually take less money so that the Warriors can sign him. They probably would listen a little more because of the frame and experience. Years ago, Lisa was reading uh, from Sunset Magazine. And there was this article in Sunset Magazine that was interviewing local chefs, asking them, where would you go to eat. What chef do you want to eat from? So we found this one, this one chef said, there's this dim sum restaurant in San Francisco, which this is the best chef in San Francisco and it's affordable. So the next weekend, Lisa and I went to this dim sum restaurant in San Francisco and it was packed and we just waited and it was amazing. Because when you know from what you're speaking about, it opens your eyes a little bit. Our text this morning in Ecclesiastes is where even the wisest teacher ever was impressed by the wisdom of somebody else. Let me read it. Also, this I came to see is wisdom under the sun and it impressed me. There was a small city with few men in it and a great king came to it surrounded it and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. 
Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. This is like one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Dead flies make perfume oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. Father, I pray for your help and understanding today. God, this part of Ecclesiastes makes me stop, pause and say, what, what is it that Solomon, the teacher, the, the wisest man, noticed something in somebody else that made him stop? God, just do your work however you want, in any way possible today. We love you. In your name, amen. We don't know a lot about this guy, but he was probably a small fish in a small pond. He wasn't like this phrase, like, oh, he was super important in a small village. He wasn't even that important in his own village, in his own space. I wonder if the man stayed up late at night wondering, is there anything I could even do? Will anybody even listen to me? I wonder if he was feeling the weight like you must help your people be set free. And then he doubted. How? How can I? I'm a, just a poor man. Kind of despised even in my own community. Is the wisdom I have even worth listening to? What's interesting is what this man strategically did was not revealed to us because what he strategically did isn't the, really the point. Maybe it's not revealed to us because we would just jump and go, let's do what he did. But the point in all of this is wisdom. Putting things to deep transformational use. Because you see, if you're not great in this world, it's easy to make assumptions about you. They're made about your value. We make a lot of assumptions about a lot of people all the time. We assume what people are going to say. We assume what people are thinking in the moment. We assume whether they have value, whether they're worth representing something, whether we listen at all. But this man fits God's story so well. Because all throughout the story of God, we find the significance in one person with God. But God has this amazing way of saying, I'm going to take somebody that you may have overlooked. And by my power, his words are going to change you. You see, the teacher was impressed. Now listen now, by a poor, wise man. It's kind of an interesting clarification that he connects poor with wisdom. He's almost kind of comparing like, man, you, you too would have overlooked this person. There's a couple of ways of leading that I found, have seen in this world. There's a way of leading from position, right? Your authority, who you are, your status, and you're like, because I'm this way, I'm going to do these things. But then there's this way of influencing an influential leader. It's like, I don't need a position to lead. I'm going to allow God to work through me. There is this company that uh, for a long time really had no org chart at all. 
Now they refer to it as kind of a lattice org chart where they interact and respond. But the idea was this, is there wasn't anybody who was like, you're overseeing all of these people. So how they organized themselves was, if you're an influencer, you're just gonna lead. So somebody was new to the company, was like, well, how do I know which meetings to come to? Who's my boss? Who's a leader around here? And the idea was this, call a meeting. If anybody shows up, you might be a leader. If nobody shows up, you're probably not a leader yet. Or at least an influencer, or at least your ideas. For some of you, that would drive you crazy. For other of you, you'd be like, that sounds awesome. I'll never call a meeting and I'll just hang out. If this man called a meeting, Solomon would have showed up. Solomon wanted to hear what he had to say. And if Solomon would have showed up, what does that mean for us? You see, the teacher saw that this man's level of commitment and wisdom was greater than the level of opposition. There's just some people that have something in them that they won't give up or they believe for something more. Like a grandparent who's just praying for their grandchild so deeply and is so burdened for their heart because they believe for something more for them. Or like someone who longs for freedom from oppression. They just know and believe for justice so they don't give up. They know there's a better way. Or a wife that's praying for her husband in deep intercessory ways to get freedom from his addictions because she knows who he is apart from the vices in her life. So she's not going to give up. There's something that drives people that no matter how big the walls are around them, they're not giving up. Not out of their own sheer discipline and strength, but they believe for something bigger, for something more. You see, the teacher sees a life that matters because of what this life is delivering. But there was found in it a poor wise man and he delivered the city by his wisdom. Delivers. Now, literally he delivered, he brought his city through his wisdom from one place to another, but also what he was delivering himself to that situation. Because a life that matters most likely delivers something that brings freedom, not more confusion. seems like wisdom might be described like this. Paying attention to what you are delivering so that you can deliver people from something. So to get really simple for a few moments, what are we delivering? What are we bringing to spaces? I'm kind of an expert on delivery because I, was a, I worked for Domino's when I was in high school. And um, in a sheer twist of fate, at one point when the assistant manager, who was 19, and I was 16, offered me to go into a management training track where I too could be an assistant manager one day and make $18,000 a year. And I'm like, that much in one year? 
Good news was I got to college and met Lisa and the assistant manager track did not look so attractive because there's no way her father would have let me date her if that was my life trajectory. But I was a delivery boy for Domino's and there's a couple of things that were ain't true. The pizza never got better from while I was delivering it to somebody. Meaning they called Domino's, you know what they got? Domino's, in case you're wondering. Let's say I was trying to impress someone on the way. Like, man, this is a really important client. I hope this pizza gets better from where, no, it was not bad pizza, but it was still just pizza. Now we had this thing when I was delivering, but this was back in the 19, like uh, a long time ago. If it wasn't there in 30 minutes, it was free. So let's just say not a lot of care went into how we made these pizzas. It was just like, throw them in there, go! And then if the drivers got tickets, the manager's like, well, you took one for the team. And I'm like, I'm gonna take one for the team. The thing is though, the pizzas never got better on the way. They just were the same as the source. How often do we go to a source and just hope something different's gonna happen along the way? Because we deliver to others what we have picked up, what we've experienced. We also get delivered to us what we reach out to. You see, the teacher has been declaring that the things he has been going after, the women, the wine, the wealth, it's all vapor. And when he reached out to them, they kept delivering more vapor. So what are you reaching out to? Where do you go through all throughout the day? What do you pick up? I know for me, the questions I need to ask myself, what are my eyes resting on? What are my ears referring to? What are the words my mouth has said? What are the things I'm just keep going to and hoping it's different? Knowing full well that all those events of my day, I'm delivering somewhere. But we have an advantage that Solomon didn't have. We have Jesus. And we can see for a moment, what was Jesus delivering? What has he offered? Paul writes it this way in Colossians. He writes, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What has been delivered? We've been delivered. How? With redemption, forgiveness. Let's look at another one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the, word, the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
What he's saying in simple words in relation to this message would be, God, what God delivered to you was freedom from who you were to a new place of who you are now. So now go and deliver that same message to somebody else. The ministry of reconciliation. I mean, look at those words up there. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has hired us. He has brought us. He has sent us out like deliver well. Not out of a weight, not out of the heavy expectation. Just go deliver what I've delivered to you. Don't hold these resentments. Don't hold these separations. As I've reconciled with you, deliver the source. I heard Pastor Erwin McManus one time say, we, only, we can only help people find meaning when our lives have meaning. One of the things I ask myself is, who's on the receiving end of my deliveries? Like I said, when I was a delivery boy, we delivered food to you so you didn't have to get off the couch. Some people I delivered pizzas to, I'm pretty sure they just want me to come in and feed them one piece at a time as well. They're like, I'm watching the game, just feed me. Okay. Who are we delivering to? I know who I deliver to. I deliver stuff to my family. I deliver stuff to my friends. I deliver to my church. I deliver to my community. I deliver to my world. I deliver to myself. What's the source? What am I bringing? You see, a life of meaning delivers something of meaning because it was originally delivered something of meaning. What are we delivering? Where have my eyes been? Where have my feet walked? Where has my heart and mind been dwelling on? Where are my emotions directed? These are not questions of condemnation of shame. They're just questions of source. The source. And if we're hoping to go back to the same source and deliver anything differently, we're just fooling ourselves. For like, I can continue to do these things and dwell on these things, but yet I'm gonna be different when I get home. We're fooling ourselves. If I can find the company of fools and people who are critical and angry, yet bring joy and peace when I go home, we're fooling ourselves. If I can dwell on things that take life from people, if I can be this kind of person at work, yet love my family, we're just fooling ourselves. A while ago, I had an ant problem. The black little ants in my house, not my mother's sisters. That would be a different kind of problem. And the beautiful thing about ants is they will always tell you if you left a crumb on your counter, right? You walk out in the morning and you're like, wow, I guess I did not wipe down the counter because it's all black with ant. So initially my plan was just to um, deliver the ants to ant heaven 
by spraying them. I just would wipe out the ants that I would see. But what's amazing about ants is they kept coming back. There's always more. And they always, I even had ants in my shower, which seemed like a death wish. Like, what are you guys, they're looking for water. So I'm like, I'll show you water. So almost like this battle between me and these ants. I'm like, spraying them down. But then they kept coming back. So I tried to reason with them. Didn't work. I went to the hardware store and I'm like, I have ants. They're like, all right, I can't get rid of them. They go use this. So there's this stuff that's like in liquid form and you put it on a piece of paper and you put it on your counter. This stuff draws ants to itself somehow with some fragrance or sweetness. And then they deliver this poison back to the ant hill and deliver it to the ant queen who is giving birth to all these ants. So eventually, death comes to the colony. So I'm like, this is very convicting. So what I'm doing is putting out something that draws the ants to it so they go home and kill their home. They're like, it works great. I'm like, I'm so excited. So I put the piece of paper down on my counter. I put a few drops and I woke up the next morning and the ants were all eating from this pool of poison. Me being immature at the moment, I'm very mature now in case you're wondering. I'm looking at that going, you're all gonna die. Good luck. They brought it home. Took a few days. All of a sudden there's no ants in my house. Now, the point of that isn't like, this is how you get rid of ants. Though some of you are like, that was really super helpful. What's that called? Some of you right after service, what is that stuff called? I don't know. Just... But if you stop and think about it for a second, what are the things, the vapor, which is what the teacher's been pointing out, that we're drawn to, that if we actually capture that and bring it home, we're actually bringing death to our home. We're bringing death to the relationship. We're bringing things that just can't survive. We think it's good. We think it's something that's gonna make us better. But yet, when we let that inform our home, our family, our church, our friendship, ourselves, it, it brings death. Some observations. One, your under the sun position does not always determine your influence. Your life position. Because feelings of insignificance is the mountain we all face. As did many in scripture, Moses, Gideon, David, every single disciple, Paul, they all felt insignificant at some point. But this is how God's kingdom really works. Find some help in here. Here's how it really works. Paul, in his letter to the, to the Corinthians, his first letter, writes this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. So some were of noble birth. Some were important, but not all of them. Some were even slaves in this congregation. It was quite a, a gathering, a mix of people. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I love that phrase. He has become wisdom for us. It's not up to us to be smart enough to figure this all out. Christ stepped in and said, let me be that wisdom for you and in you. In my most recent trip to Rwanda with Anna about a month ago, there was this uh, situation where I was out, we, they had like these outreach gatherings. There were a bunch of people sitting outside and they would sing and this and that, and then I would preach. And there was this moment when I'm speaking to, I don't know, a couple hundred people or so. And for a moment, I, I, I looked at them in the eyes, tried to figure out who it is, not just go through the motions. And these were people who had been field workers for decades, if not centuries. They lived in deep, deep, deep poverty. None of them had education or unless most of them didn't have any education past the third grade. This group of people were even looked down upon by the other group of people, maybe 10 miles away. But as I looked at them, this is a group that loved Jesus. Jesus had done something amazing in them, that God deeply delights in them, that I'm a brother and a sister with them. And by the world's standards, the world has forgotten these people. But probably the truer phrase was the world never even knew these people. The world never really even cared about these people. Last week or a couple weeks ago, there was a big upset victory in the NCAA basketball tournament. And this guy who played on one of the teams said, man, we just shocked the world. The people I was talking to in Rwanda were not shocked because they had no idea who this team was. I mean, even that, I know it's just a phrase, but even that mindset, look what we did to the world, yet most of the world is not even aware. So are, they, are these people insignificant? When I'm asked who I think is the best pastor I know, I get asked, Dale, who, what pastor do you follow? Who do you listen to? What, what books do you read? My answer with full confidence is my friend Mary, who pastors a church in a remote village in Rwanda. That's my friend Mary. Mary's never written a book. She's never been asked to speak at a conference. She will never be known by 99.9% .9 of even probably her own country, much less the world. But if you watch Mary, if you walk with Mary, if you learn to love like Mary, if you listen to Mary pray, you will experience an irresistible Jesus coming through Mary. Because Mary's learned to deliver God's grace 
not based on her own position, not based even on her own works, just the work of Jesus in her. My deep, deep, deep admiration for Mary. And it, it kind of bothers Mary's husband because Mary's husband's also a pastor. And when I'm sitting with them, I'm like, Mary, you're the best pastor I know. And the husband's like, what about me? Huh, Anna, truth. I'm like, gracious, that's her husband. You're pretty good. But Mary, whoo, I'd listen to Mary. And then the, her husband just puts his head down. My, my deep admiration for Mary is not uh, this thing that we do. I think a lot of Americans will go to poverty-stricken places and pe- see people with smiles on their faces and go, man, even though they're so poor, they still are happy. I, I just need to be, appreciate the things I have more. That's, that's not my deep admiration for Mary. It's not like she's happy, I should be happy. My admiration from her comes from seeing the deeply significant, life-changing ministry she and her church bring to every person they come across. Never giving up on the forgotten or the never known. You see, that's the kind of wisdom that Solomon stopped and stared at for a bit. You see, manufacturing legacy or levels of significance to be remembered is just vapor, my friends. The simple faith and faithfulness of a person may not be remembered, but its impact remains. I think one of the things that happens is that we become very dependent on resources and underdependent on resourcefulness of God. Solomon was impressed because he looked at the resources. He looked at all of his resources and he kept finding vapor. He saw that this guy was mostly vapor free and he was able to deliver his city. But unfortunately, Solomon kind of fell back into his own issues when he says, yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the wisdom of the poor man is despised and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. We all ask ourselves, will anybody remember us? Maybe we all ask ourselves, what is my legacy? Will we continue to repeat the same mistakes? but that's vapor. I think today if we just stop and pause and go, man, what am I really delivering? Last week we talked about the essentialness that he brings up in chapter five about guarding our steps before we go to the house of God. It's kind of like, what am I delivering to the house of God? And even today, if we leave here today going, I just need to deliver something a little different to my friends, to my wife to my family, to my job. That'll point us in a better direction. You see, the teacher points to where every human endeavor will eventually fall short, lose impact, be forgotten. But for us, we can see the ways of Jesus. We can see how he picked up the pieces of foolishness that we continue to manufacture. 
You see, in foolishness, foolishness, we promote sparkling fools and despise enduring character. But in wisdom, Jesus disrobed and washed others' feet. He promotes the humble and opposes the proud. In foolishness, we use leadership as a means for giving us immunity from consequences and accountability. But in wisdom, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem to step into his own death. Foolishly, we seek entitlement and demand that great rewards come with painless effort. But in wisdom, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Foolishly, we resist limits, wearing down people and resources for our own gain. But in wisdom, Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting down besides the well, resting. Foolishly, we talk about things we can't know while refusing to learn the ordinary things we need to know. But in wisdom, because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And he learned obedience through what he suffered. So the very thing that we've been talking through Lent that the teacher laments, Jesus is picking up. What the teacher is saying, there's nothing here, Jesus is picking it up for us. Every act of Jesus, my friends, every act where he promotes the humble, resists the entitlement, surrenders to human limits, speaks with honesty and uses time appropriately, appropriately is applied to pay for every act of indulging the proud. Our seeking of immunity, our demanding entitlement, our exploiting of our human limits, our talking big, and when our using time inappropriately towards the hurt of other. The beautiful thing is that Jesus picks up all the vapor we've been chasing and says, I will make that good. I will make that right. Because he reconciled himself and brought us into the ministry of reconciliation for each other. In his life, in his death, and his resurrection, Jesus recovers the character of God leading us in wisdom. The beautiful thing, you guys, is that we're not left alone in this. He's not saying leave here feeling guilty or shameful about the things you've been carrying. He just says, let me pick that one up for you. Let me replace that vapor for me. There's a lot of times I'm driving home and I'm just carrying all the stuff of my day. And if I just would stop and pause for a minute, Jesus is like, hey, let me take that one from you. And why don't you bring this one home? But that happens when we stop and pause and consider. So I guess to land this in the final minute here, my question for all of us, and it would seem to make a significant difference in this space, in our homes, in our families, in our town, in our city, if we just stopped for a moment and said, what am I delivering home? Is it bringing life or death?
it's bringing life, it's from God. If it's bringing death, you simply say, Jesus, can I swap this one out? And he's like, I got something better. So I know this morning there needs to be some swapping out. And I know. I mean, right now God is running down a list in my head of all the things he's like, all right, you just told people to swap it out. Why don't you swap some of these things out yourself, Dale? And I'm trying to tell him, can we wait till after the sermon's done? Because this is driving me crazy right now. And we give space at the end of every service for that very reason. Are you willing to swap some stuff out? God, this is what I've been carrying. Can I have something different? That's why we pray. That's why we have space. One of the reasons why we remember through communion is like, Jesus, you poured out so I can let go and receive. My impression is we may not be taking full advantage of this space after this, each message. Meaning this, there's an opportunity every week and whether we use it or not, I, I'm not in a space to judge how that's being used. I'm simply saying there's opportunity simply by saying, I wanna exchange this out, will you pray for me? Because there's a spiritual battle going on in every single one of our lives. Nope, hold on to that one. Hold on to that one. Don't let that one go. If you go forward for prayer, what people might think you're hanging on to things. Let me give you a hint. We're all hanging on to things. People might think you have problems if you go forward for prayer. Really, that's when we talk to God? Okay, I got problems. Maybe. Well, all I want to say is we, we try to create space so that this feels real. Let's just pause for a moment. Sit quietly before God. And maybe that's the conversation with God right now is, what have you been delivering to spaces in your life, to people, to places, to things, that you just need God to swap it out? That's called repentance. And what he's doing is called forgiveness and reconciliation back with you. What helps me is there's times I take a posture of letting go. I just open my hands up to God, not any, just, I just open up and go, God, take, just take this stuff from me. So if that helps, maybe just, God, take this. And then receive what God has for you today. Father, I repent for the things I hang on to because I think I can change them. I let go of those things and give it to you. I repent for the things I've brought home that have caused strife in my home unnecessarily. It's not fair to my family. I let those go.
Father, I repent for the things that I have brought to my friends, casting heavy burdens on them because of my own stuff. I repent and let those things go. Spirit, may I deliver you well into each space that I go. May reconciliation just be a thing that happens because of you've reconciled me back to you. In your name, amen.